Who wants to hear a story before we look at our sermon today? A great story. Okay, here's a great story. There's a great story. Uh, anybody ever go turkey hunting? Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. Only a few of you back here. Just the back row. Oh, you don't know what you're missing. It's the only kind of hunting other than elk hunting that you get to talk to the animal. You call, yip, 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 and then the tom goes, and you get to chase it down through the woods, and you try to get it to come into you, and you get to shoot it. Well, it's turkey season right now, and um, yesterday and today is the youth hunt, and that's where kids under 16 years old can hunt before anybody else can hunt. And so I took Brett to Toma. Brett, where's Brett? Way in the back. I took Brett to Toma yesterday where um, there's a bunch of public land, and we went turkey hunting. And it was great. Got up, you know, at oh dark thirty at four o'clock in the morning. Went out in the woods, you know, listen to the toms gobble. We're calling, yip 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 yip, and uh, none of them are coming to us. We spent the whole day hunting. Never saw a turkey. Come toward towards the evening, and there was a spot way back in the woods that I said, Brett, I think if we go back there, the turkeys they roost. The turkeys, if you don't know, it's a great big bird, but it flies up in a tree and sleeps in a tree every night. And so I said, I know they roost out there, so let's get in there and see if we can get them coming back to their roost. So we go out through the woods, we go way back in there and it's along this big river and, and uh, we sit down, we set up and I start calling a little bit and a hen comes in, a female turkey comes in, can't shoot hens you can tell the difference because a male's got a big beard it's called up the front, and so there's no beard so you can't shoot it, so that one walks away, a little while later I call yip, 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 and I hear alright, we got a tom, so I start calling it starts calling back and it's getting closer and closer and it, but it's coming from the wrong direction there's a river here and generally turkeys won't fly over a river and so it comes to the edge of the river, and when a turkey wants to, what's the, the turkeys, we do it backwards. When a turkey gobbles, the male, the female is supposed to go to the male. That's how, in, the, in the turkey world, that's how it works. But we try to get the male to come to the female. Uh, the, 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 yeah, the male to come to the female. So the, when the tom wants that, the female to come, he fans his tail feathers out real wide, and it's called strutting. Everyone go down the road, and you see the turkeys on the side of the road, and their tail feathers out, and he's out doing this little number in the field. He's trying to tell the females, come over here. You know, it's mating season. It's like us going like this, Bruce. You know, and, uh, <laughs> you know, Susie. You know, and, uh, and so um, we won't go there. There's not much left here anymore. But, uh, um, and so the Tom stops the other side of the river on this big embankment, and he's doing his show. He's strutting around, and Brett can see him through the trees about 75 yards away, and we're whispering, and he said, you know, and I'm thinking it's not going to come. You know, there's no way. Turkeys don't fly across water. So I get the master full call. Yip, yip, yip. And brrr, it flies across the river. And brrr, another tom flies across the river. I'm like, Brett, here it goes. You know, he's never shot a turkey. So we're under this great big white pine tree, and we're in full camo and covered up in tank camouflage. And, and Brett puts his gun over this way. And two toms come up walking. And they get about 25 yards away. And I whisper to Brett, when it sticks its head out, shoot it. So it sticks its head out. Bam! And he shoots it, and the one flies away, and the one rolls on the ground. And I jump up, and I go, come on, Brett. Well, he doesn't know why I'm yelling, come on, because I see it get back up. It stands back up, and I go running with Brett, and the perky takes off flying. And it flies over the river. And I'm like, ah. Oh. So Brett says, oh, I missed it. I said, you didn't miss it, man. Look at the pile of feathers. You knocked it down. You rolled it over. I said, it's dead over there. Well, you got to understand, we walked in from the highway, walked in probably a mile around this section of this river, got to the spot, what flew over the river. It's like, oh, we got to walk. All the way back here, it was a mile through the woods to the road, cross two bridges on the road, so bridges are what, about a mile apart, two bridges on the road, then walk in a mile and get to where that river, where the turkey crossed. And Brett said, I'm swimming. 
I said, Brett, they got to remember, the day before, it was 20 degrees when we went out. It was 20 degrees. It was freezing. The, all the water up there was frozen over. So a day earlier, everything's frozen. Now it was still only, it was 30 degrees the next morning, and it wasn't all that warm up. We had winter jackets on. I really did. I had my, it was on zipper, but I had a winter jacket on. I had long underwear on. He had long underwear on. I said, Brett, you can't swim across the river. It's a big river. It's just roaring in the spring. I'm swimming. I said, you can't. Your mom will kill me. <laughs> Mom's not here. <laughs> so he says, I'm swimming. I said, all right, strip down. So he strips down to his long underwear, and he jumps in the river. He swims across the river. He walked part of the way, most of the way. It was about neck deep. He gets across the river, crawls up this embankment. It was like this, but probably 10 feet high embankment. Crawls up, goes to the other side, and I crawl up on top of a tree stump, and I'm trying to watch him. And he's wandering around, and I'm thinking, I don't know if he's going to find us. He yells, there it is. And he goes, it's still alive. <laughs> and all of a sudden, there's bushes flying. On a, last of God, there's feathers flying. Brett is squealing. Yeah! <laughs> and all of a sudden, here comes Brett. He's got that turkey by the neck. <laughs> so... It was, Lar- it was Larson against Turkey, and the turkey lost. So he's on the other side of the river. He says, what do I do now? I said, come on, buddy, swim. If ever in my life I wish I had a camera, the camera's in the car. Here's Brett. Jumps in the river. He's got a turkey by the legs. Its wings are spread out around his shoulders. It's hanging down to his butt. They're big. And he's tr- he jumps in the river. He's tromping through the river, and he's smiling this big, you know, <laughs> looking at me. Ah, and it's freezing. It's like 33-degree water. And he comes trudging through this river and crawls up the other side. And the first thing he says is, that's how Larson's roll. <laughs> so, so he got his he got his first nice big turkey, nine inch beard, great twenty one or twenty two pound turkey, nice turkey. And here's the, here's the cool thing: Tur- turkey hunting is fun. But here's the deal: it's not about turkey hunting. And I'm going to say this to parents: listen, you need to spend time with your with your teenagers. The hardest time in your life. There are times I would like to stick my kids in a barrel. You know, lock it tight. You know, W.C. Fields said all kids should be raised in a pickle barrel. And at 12, and it fed through that hole. And at 12, the hole should be plugged up. Um, so I'm not, not that to the extreme. But you know what? You're going through all these hormonal changes. And we have found you've got to find things that your kids love to do and spend time doing it with them. Right before that turkey came in, we had prayed together. We prayed for safety and success. And it's the first thing he said after he shot is, Dad, we just prayed. You know, and so we just prayed. And then also um, on the way up, we're driving. He's, we're talking about, he's trying to tell me, Dad, explain to me how God um, has always been here. I'm like, oh, that's a small subject. You know, <laughs> God is eternal. We're actually going to talk about it today. I said, Brett, I don't know. So you know what? Take time with your, with your family. Um, take time with your teens. Take time with your kids. And, uh, you know, the Bible says the way we raise them. But Sunday school and kids' church and youth group are not designed to raise your kids for God. We're just supplements. These guys stayed up all night with our youth, an all-nighter this weekend. You know what? That's great, but that's not how you raise kids for Jesus. You raise them taking them turkey hunting. You know why? Because um, it says very clearly in Deuteronomy, you teach them when they rise up and when they lay down and when they walk by the way. And so you know what? Um, We're talking about Jesus and God's creation all the time. And so uh, it was just a great privilege to be able to do it. So next weekend, it's not the youth hunt, so Josh and I get to run all the way up there. And uh, Josh, are you in here? Uh, I'm not swimming across the river for you, buddy. <laughs> so uh, you get ready to be in your skivvy. So Brett came across. He's soaked. 
And so he strips naked in the woods and he had taken his camouflage off. I took my shirt off and he used my shirt as a towel and dried himself off and uh, put his camouflage back on and boom, up we walked through the woods. And so uh, I thought if anybody could see us now, <laughs> this naked kid standing in the woods drying off with his dad's shirt. And uh, was it worth it, Brett? It was all worth it, wasn't it? <laughs> so moral of the story don't get in the bushes with Brett if he wants to get you out. You're going to come up on your neck. <laughs> and so it was, it was great. So we had a good time. All right. God is good, isn't he? Yeah. Amen. It's just wonderful to be in the presence of the Lord. Well, today we're going to do something. Today we're going to start the first um, of a long, long, long series of messages. And we'll break into it at times. But I've been waiting to do this since last year, I kind of prayed and said, God, for 2010, what things do you want me to deal with? And I really felt led to go through the book of Genesis with the church. And so today we're going to start um, going through the book of Genesis together. And, you know, we're not going to do it verse by verse. That could literally take till Jesus returns or, you know, I would be long retired. But just going to kind of look at um, themes and ideas and people from the book of Genesis. And we're just going to learn some fabulous truths as we go through the book of Genesis together. And again, we'll break into it at times um, for different little mini-series and holidays and that kind of stuff. But probably six months of preaching um, in, this, in the rest of 2010, um, we're going we're gonna to look at, the, at just what God has to teach us in the book of Genesis. And Genesis is an amazing book. You know, the word, its title, Genesis, means the book, it's beginning. And it's the book of beginnings. And one reason that Genesis is such a great study is because in Genesis we find all the beginnings of all the things that build our world and our society. You know, we find out the beginning of creation. Where did everything come from? We find out about the beginning of humanity. How did God create man to be? How did God create man and woman to be? How, you know, how did, how did God create them to be together? All these foundational things we find the, God's teaching in the book of Genesis. We find the foundation of marriage. We find the uh, foundation, the beginnings of, of um, sin, of judgment, of redemption, the idea of covenant, that God made a covenant with, people, with man, that God started the nation of Israel. That's all started. All the, that we understand in the New Testament is founded upon the foundations of, of uh, Genesis. You know what? Are you, anybody in here artsy, crafty music? Arts and crafts and music started in Genesis. That's where we find out. We find out about it starting in the book of Genesis, where it specifically says, here's the guy who, guys who God used to start these different things. You know, we find out about redemption, how God wanted to take lost men and bring them back. All these things. You know, all that we are and all that we understand in our lives really rise out of the book of Genesis. So it is just this incredible place of discovery. And so we're going to just kind of take it like that, kind of like mining out some nuggets as we walk through the book of Genesis together over the next number of months. And today we're going to start with just one verse. Now the reason I said we're not going to go verse by verse, I don't want to scare you, because we're going to look at one verse today. And you'd say, we're going through the book of Genesis and we're going to do Genesis 1-1. You know what, we may be here for a long time. But we're just going to look at Genesis 1-1 today. Grab your Bible, turn it open. It's a verse verse that probably most of us could say even without uh, looking in your Bible. Matter of fact, it's a verse that you're turning there. I remember... Who, who grew up watching Little House on the Prairie? Remember Charles Ingalls, what he, he talked to his kids, why he brought this up? Anybody remember the Charles Ingalls one? Why did, he, why did he bring up Genesis 1-1? He said there was some sport in the Bible. Oh, come on, Suzanne, you grew up. He said the baseball in the Bible, he said in the big inning, God created the heavens and the earth. 
And so uh, I don't know where that just came from. It just popped in there, man. My brain is uh, clicking today, I guess. So uh, <laughs> Genesis 1.1 says this. In the beginning, not the beginning, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. We're going to just take that one verse today. And I just want us today to just think about that statement. And I want us to think about what that statement says to us about God. Because it says a lot. And I, you know, when I was preparing this message, I felt this very sense of overwhelming gratitude for how, who God is and how wonderful and how uh, immense and how unfathomable and how just incredible God is. And I really felt that what I wanted to do today for me and for you as we look at this, is I just want us to be amazed by God. I want us today to just be amazed by God. And I want God to become huge to you. Because sometimes we walk with God for a while, God becomes kind of put in this little box, and we think we got them all figured out. You want to know something? You're never going to have God all figured out. You know, when we say God is huge, Josh used to do this thing in kids' church. My God is so big, so strong, and so mighty. There's nothing my God cannot do. And he would do it with a little marionette puppet wrapped around his neck behind a stage with his little arms out. And uh, his head would be on this marionette puppet. And I remember he'd sing that song, My God is so big, so strong, and so mighty. There's nothing my God cannot do. I want us today to be amazed by God. I want us to just be in awe of who he is. I want us to consider what it means to us that God is our creator. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. I want us to be able to, to grasp that, that a look at creation is a look into the greatness of God. You know, one of the reasons I love the outdoors is I, I'm in creation. I'm not in something that man built. You know, we're leaning up against a white pine tree when I'm out there, and I'm just staring up at it and saying it's huge. And when we see that, we see the greatness of God. Psalms, the psalmist understood this. Psalm 19.1, he said this. He said, the heavens declare the glory of God and the skies proclaim the work of his hand. When we look at creation, we look at the stars in the skies and all the beauty that God created, it says it declares the glory of God when we look at what he's created. So what I wanted to do today as we attempt, as I attempt to try to help us just become amazed by God, was what I want us to do today is I want to talk about five things that we discover about God when we consider that one verse, that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Five things, but there's more than five, but just five that I think will make us stand back with our jaws open and go, wow, isn't God incredible? The first thing is this, that we find out about God when we say in the beginning, God created the heavens and earth. That's what Brett and I talked about in the car on the way up to turkey hunting was this, God is eternal. Try to wrap your mind around this one. God is eternal. God always was and always is. What Brett was asking me is a question that you ought to be asking yourself, and I ask myself, how's that possible? How's it possible that God always was and God always is? And I'll say this as we begin. It can't be explained. I can't explain it. I can't wrap my mind around it. I can't comprehend it. But I can believe it because I see creation... And seeing creation necessitates the fact that there must be a creator. And we know as we walk with Jesus that, that he's proven his word to be true found in the Bible. And that we can trust his word, the Bible. And when I don't know the answers, but I read in Genesis 1.1 that says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and earth, that God was already there. 
that, friends, you know what? I might not be able to believe it, but I can, I can accept it. I can believe it by faith. I might not be able to explain it rather, but I can believe it. And see, the Bible doesn't try to explain God. The Bible never tries to explain God's origin. It just states the fact, in the beginning, God. In the beginning, God. There's nothing else, but in the beginning, God was there. You know, you know we need to understand something. That when Moses penned those words, you know, some 4,000 years ago, because Moses is the author of the first five books of the Bible, inspired by the Holy Spirit, he penned the words by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. When he wrote those words that, in the beginning, God... He was writing something completely contrary to the thinking of his day. Who who was Moses raised by? Pharaoh? In in what country? Egypt. We read about Moses that he was trained in all the ways of the Egyptians. He was the the kind of adopted son of Pharaoh's daughter. She found him in 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 the bulrushes, in the little basket, took him out, raised him as her own. And he was raised in all of the education of the Egyptians. Well, you know what the Egyptians believed? about creation is kind of funny. They believed, and this is what he had been taught, they believed that there was this primeval ocean. And it started off with the ocean, the creation. This primeval ocean upon which one day an egg appeared. And so the ocean was first and then an egg appeared. And from that egg was born the sun god. And that that sun god had four children. And the four children, with their fighting and scrapping and, and rivalries created what we know as creation. And so they said first came the sea and then came an egg and then came God. And Moses says it just the opposite. He goes, wait a minute, in the beginning, God. And he was at a time when people had all kinds of crazy beliefs about origin. The Greeks believed that there was what? This great big mythical giant named who? Atlas. And he had the world on his back. You know, the the Hindus had a better one. The Hindus believed that the world rested on the back of, of uh, three giant elephants and that those elephants then stood on the back of a giant tortoise and that giant tortoise then swam around in a cosmic sea. Well, the first rocket we shot off to space, <laughs> uh, if there was a Hindu on board, they looked back and said, don't see any elephants, don't see any tortoises. <laughs> you know what? All these kind of ideas to try to explain it. But the Bible is unique. The Bible just simply says the truth. God always was and God always is. And we can't get our minds around that. But we see that we see his creation. We see there's a creator and we can trust that somehow that is true. He is eternal and he created all things. And friends, that should make us just stand in awe of God. That God is eternal. And if you think about that today, this afternoon, sit back, close your eyes and think about we, God just is. That ought to make a jaw drop. That's the first thing we see about it. Second thing is this. Not only is God eternal, but God is supreme. Um, in the beginning, God created. Um, the fact that he is the creator of everything shows that he is greater than everything else, that he's supreme, because the creator of something is greater than the thing that they create. Maybe a simple way of thinking of it is like this. You know, Bill Gates is a brilliant man. And Bill Gates is the guy that we credit really for, for really writing the software and, and helping uh, create the, uh, the uh, uh, 
to take the development of computer science forward and write the right software so that we have what we know today as the personal computer. You know, and we would say this about Bill Gates without any reservation. Bill Gates is superior to the software that he writes because it originated with him. He is the originator of it, so he's superior to the software. Likewise, God is superior. He's supreme. He's superior to everything else there is in this world because he has created everything. You want to know something? God is greater than the angels because he created them. Bible number two tells us not only to not worship angels, it, you know, it, we, we shouldn't worship angels. We shouldn't uh, call them. We shouldn't pray to them. You know why? Because God's the creator. God's the supreme one. You want to pray to somebody? You pray to God. He's the supreme one. He's greater than the angels. You know who else he's better than, greater than? He's greater than Satan because he created Satan. You know what? God is not sitting in heaven wringing his hands and saying, oh no, what is Satan going to do to Portview Church? I'm just so worried about him. He's not doing that. You know why? Because he created Satan. He created him. He's got a plan. He knows exactly when he's going to end Satan's rule and reign because he's superior. You know what? He's, God's greater than us. Greater than mankind because he created us. That'll flip your theology upside down a little bit because sometimes we kind of think that, that we tell God what to do. And guess what? We don't tell God what to do. God tells us what to do because he's superior and he created us. You know, and not only does he create us, we think sometimes we're, we create things. You know, I like to build with wood. And I might even say, misguided with my words, I might say, I created this cabinet. But I didn't really create it. I built it. But God created. You see, when God created everything, he created everything from nothing. There was nothing here. God created it from nothing. The word used for creation um, in your text there is a Hebrew word, uh, bere, and that word means that a spe- at a specific moment, God called into existence matter and substance that had no prior existence. There was no matter, there was no substance, and God just created it. Friends, that's something that only God can do. Josh, I don't know if you remember this, but Josh used to tell us a joke all the time. For some reason, he was at a stage of his development that this joke was really funny to him. It is kind of funny. Remember the story he used to tell us, me and mom, all the time about the scientist who met God? You remember this? He would tell us a story about a scientist who met God. And he'd say, the scientist comes up to God and says, God, um, we don't need you anymore. He says, you know what? Because we're so advanced in science and technology that we have figured out now how life is created and we can create life in a test tube. And we can do it. Matter of fact, it's just proteins and enzymes and and we can put it all together and we can create life. And the fact of the matter is, medical science can take those things and create, in essence, life when there was no life. And so the scientist kind of smugly looks at God and says, okay, God, um, to prove our point, I challenge you to a creation contest. And so God sits back and says, all right, I'll take you up on that. And the scientist reaches down and he grabs a handful of dirt and he says, I'll show you I can create something. God says, no, no, time out. You get your own dirt. Because that's the difference. That's the difference between creation and just reusing somebody else's stuff, building. God, when he created us, when he created the universe, he created another term for called ex nihilo. He created it from nothing, beret. He just spoke it into existence. Just try to imagine how great God really is. He speaks and worlds form. He speaks, and animals are created. Brett and I looked after he shot that turkey. He looked at it, and he had noticed this before because I don't think he'd ever seen a dead one on the ground. He goes, look at the colors. 
He's like, look at the colors of this thing. On the side, we just see that brown bird out in the field. They're beautiful. There's like blues and greens. The heads are red, white, and blue. They're beautiful. And he says, look at all this. God spoke, and he created a turkey. God spoke, and light illuminated the darkness. Friends, no one else, nothing else can do what God can do. You know, and church, as in a little aside here, just think about something related to this. When God spoke, it was power, right? He created with his spoken word. Bruce, what do you have in your hand? What's that called? I left mine in my pew. No, that. <laughs> What's another word we call it? What do we call it? The, the word. When you hold in your hand the Bible, the word of God, his words recorded for us, just understand the supreme power of God's word has been given to us. That power that spoke the worlds into existence, his words that spoke a world into existence, he has given to us in a love letter called the Bible. His word is just as powerful in the Bible for our lives as when he spoke creation into, into existence. Do you think that says something about how we ought to know his word and we ought to use his word and rely on his word and, and instead of living by logic, live by his word? Not that it's illogical, but we say, God, what do you have to say about it? You know, he reveals his supremacy in the pages of the Bible, of the book, the word. And he gives us that supreme power and wisdom as we allow its truths to shape and direct our lives. Friends, that's something to celebrate. That's something to celebrate, that God, the God who could speak Lake Michigan into existence has put his words on paper for us, and we can dwell in it and live in it every single day. That's awesome. You ought to just go, wow, isn't God incredible? look at another one you know not only is he eternal and you know he's also another thing god is wise matter of fact if you want to just describe god you could say this god is wisdom god is wise you know just look at the created world around you it is so incredibly complex it's so incredibly amazing it's so beautiful and just think of this that creation is simply an extension or an expression of god's wisdom because God had to think it up before he spoke it out. He had to say, I'm going to make a giraffe before he could speak it. He had to think, I want to, I want to, I want to think what a mountain is going to be like. It had to come from the fact that God is wisdom. You know, just think about the creation around you. You know what? The rivers don't run dry and the oceans don't overflow. That ever amazed you? The rivers don't run dry and the oceans that all the rivers run into, don't overflow. And in Scripture's real clue, Job, he talks about that, that the rivers, the oceans don't overflow their banks, that God set them in court, in place. You know, that, that geese, Jeff, that geese know to fly south in the fall so we can hunt them. And then to fly north. And those things are so smart that we can be sitting in full camel in a field and they're 300 yards up in the air and they're looking down and they go, hey, there's two turkeys sitting in that field. They set their wings and they see us and they go, pop, 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 and they fly away. They got the brain the size of my thumbnail, you know. And God created them to somehow know to fly south in the fall and north in the spring. No man, no, one, no scientist can explain it. They have no idea how they know how to do it. You know what? You know what? You can't have apples without bees. <laughs> Think of that. You can't have apples. Anybody like apples? You can't have apples without bees. Because if a bee doesn't go around and pollinate each individual little flower, you can't have apples. God created this incredible wise system that you need a bee to pollinate a tree 
to make an apple. And we get honey out of it as a byproduct. You think God is pretty wise? You know what? You can take a seed the size of my, of my you know, pinky nail here, drop it in the ground, and give it a hundred and so years, and end up with a hundred plus foot tall white pine that three of us can't get our arms around. And it all came from something that big. You think God is pretty wise? Your eye is more complex than any camera ever will be and ever has been. Your eye is more complex. Your brain is infinitely more capable than the best software and processor that Intel will ever be able to create. Your hand is so complex that the most advanced robotics in the world cannot even come near duplicating the dexterity and the abilities of the human hand. So often, I, when, I wanna, when I'm starting to feel like God is maybe small, kind of like, oh God, where are you? You're not answering my prayers. I honestly do this. I sit and I go like this. I honest to God do. And I go, nobody can make this. It's unduplicatable. They can er, 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 make it kind of, but you can't do this with it. You know, Fonzie. Any of you kids know who Fonzie is? <laughs> the Fonz. A machine can't just do that. You know, it takes tons of effort and it never is going to be the same. You know, God is amazing. Friends, we are fearfully and wonderfully made and so is our incredible earth and all the plants and all the animals that God created. See, because after verse 1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, he just goes through the next six days of creation and he says, this day I created this and this day I created that and that day I created that. He gets to the end and says, then I rested. You know, um, we're fearfully and wonderfully made. Creation reveals the wisdom of God. You know, he thought all of this up. It came from his creative wisdom, his brilliance. You know, if ever I begin to doubt that he is really there, I just look at the earth and the sky. I look at my hand. And you know what I see when I do this? I see the fingerprints of God all over his creation. I see like a little kid going up. You ever a little kid visit your house and they take their grubby little fingers and they press them up against the door and some of you grandmas and grandpas, you would, you would kill somebody who washed that off. That's how Suzanne's mom was. Don't you dare wipe them fingerprints off my window because when you go home, your kids are still with me. You see the fingerprints. You know what? When I look around at this and I look at that, I see the fingerprints of God because you know what? The design of creation necessitates a designer. The creation necessitates a creator. Psalm, the psalmist wrote it like this. It says, O Lord, what a variety of things you have made! Exclamation point. In wisdom you have made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. He said, you know what, God? In your wisdom you made everything we see. His creation reveals his wisdom. Are you beginning to get this picture of God now? He's not so small. He's enormous and there's no way you can get your mind around how incredible God is. Let's look at number four, another thing through creation that we see about God, and it's this. Through creation, we see that God is powerful. You know, God did in an instant what an army of engineers and builders could not do in eternity. He created the mountains and the valleys. He created the Grand Canyon and the Great Lakes and the Himalayas and the Rockies and the Andes. He carved out through the earth the Nile and the Amazon and the Mississippi and that little creek that Brett swam across, not creek, that river that Brett swam across to get his turkey. He, he thought it up and he created it in his power. In six days, he created everything. In six days. 
And you know, I know that there's godly, good Christian people who believe the Word of God with equal intensity and they have some different ideas about those six days. And I'm all right with that. You know what? Some of them think that it was a literal six, 20, 24 hour period, six days, and I'm in that camp. I believe that, you know what? God's so powerful. If He said He did it in six days, I got no problems believing it. You know, I have no, I have no problem with that. Some believe each of those six Days of creation represent millions of years, and during those millions of years, um, you know, glaciers came and all this different stuff came, and I don't know how it all worked, but you know what? They believe that. There's a, each, each day represented a, a, a season. There's some who believe that there was this huge gap between the first day of creation and the other days of creation, and there was millions and millions of years, and all this stuff happened during that, during that time. They see a gap in time. You know what, friends? No matter what the truth is, and I just think it's six days myself, God's incredible power is evident in his creation. The prophet Isaiah, thousands of years ago, thought of this, and he understood this, and he wrote this. He says, lift up your eyes on high and see who has created the stars. The one who leads forth the host of, of, of by the, by them by number. He calls them all by name because of the greatness of his might and the strength of his power. Not one of them is missing. He looked up into the heavens, and you know what he saw? He saw the, the greatness of his might and the strength of his power. For thousands of years, mankind has recognized the display of God's power when they look at the world around them. Friends, understand something. God is no wimp. He's powerful. God is no wimp. He is not sitting in heaven wringing his hands over what you know, Barack Obama is going to do with health care. He's not. He's not sitting there worried about is what's America going to do about you know uh, the national debt. I'm not saying we shouldn't worry about that stuff. I'm sure say, I'm not saying we shouldn't be concerned, but God's not sitting in heaven worrying about. It. You know what? God's not concerned if uh, Osama bin Laden's ever caught. God's not worried about it. He's not concerned if North Korea is really going to start shooting nuclear weapons. He's not. I'm saying this. He's not worried. He's not anxious. He's not nervous. Because you know what? He can snuff any one of them or us out in a minute, in an instant, if he chooses. Because scripture is very clear. He makes nations rise up, and he makes nations go down. He is in control. His power is limitless. You know, just look at his creation, and it'll prove it to you. You know, friends, what does that say to us about his ability to help us in time of need? When you're laying in your hospital room, Robin, and you're saying, God, I can't take another day. You know what we see when we look around? His power is still limitless. His power is still limitless. He still does the impossible. He can answer any prayer. He can save any prodigal. He can fix any problem because he is our all-powerful God. He's everything. There's nothing that's even a challenge for God. So he's powerful. One last thing we want to look at when we consider this, that we just want to celebrate the incredibleness of God as we look at creation. Something that I bet you hadn't really thought of before. And it's this. When we think about God, the God of creation, we have to come to this term. The God of creation is loving. The God of creation is loving. Matter of fact, Scripture describes and says just as this, God is love. If you want to understand a definition of God, it should just, of love, it should just say God. Because God is love. 
think of this. The reason, here's the whole underlying reason for why he made all this stuff. The reason that he spoke this world into being and created mankind and the giraffes and the turkeys and everything else, the reason that he created everything is because of love. That's the whole reason that he did it. He did it all because of love. God understands something about God. He's self-existent, self-reliant. God does not need mankind. God doesn't need you and me. He doesn't sit there and say, well, I hope Mark talks to me today. God, you know, he, he enjoys our fellowship, but he doesn't need us. He created us in this world in order to express his loving nature. That's why he did it. He created us to be the recipients of his love. You know, so, so that's why. When he, he went to such incredible extents, extreme measures, to reconcile separated man because of sin. When, when man sinned and was separated from God, he went to these extreme measures to bring us back again and to, re, and to receive us back from separation of sin because he is love. You know, in love he sent Jesus so we could be free to turn from sin to him and to live in a love relationship with him. It was all because of love. Love is the reason why he did it all. Love is why he created it. Love, this, the, the creation is just an extension of his love. Isn't it amazing to realize that God loves you and wants to be united with you, this incredible God that we can't get our hands around, our minds around, that he just wants to be united with you and that you are created as a result of his love? That's why he created you. 